when it comes to competition, when I watch it, certainly when I watch it on the screen and people are successful, you know, they throw their arm up in the air and there's that big smile. First time, first time you see that, you go, oh, that's brilliant, brilliant. And then you think, I wouldn't want to do all the hard work it takes to do that. Welcome to Forever Young, the health and well-being podcast from Lanzerhof. My name is Mario Pedazzoli, and in every episode, join me in conversation with a variety of health experts and special guests as we explore what it means to live well. We may not find the secret to eternal youth, but join me on our quest as we explore just what it means to live a balanced, healthy and happy life. Hello again and welcome. Well, so far in Forever Young, we have been in conversation with all manner of health and medical experts in their field, looking at how taking a preventive and committed approach to well-being can lead to extraordinary results in performance and a greatly improved quality of life. Well, what happens when we apply this science and expertise in the world of elite sport? Combined with an athlete's discipline, attitude and commitment, and of course, natural ability, just how far can the body and its limits of performance be pushed? And so with that in mind, let's find out. It is a great honor to introduce my special guest today, one of Britain's most decorated and successful track athletes of all time. And here's a reminder and a goosebumps moment, frankly, of just one of his many achievements. Commentary, of course, by the late, great David Coleman. Welcome to the show, Colin Jackson. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And it is, gosh, you know, that's nearly 30 years ago now. It is incredible. And it's, that's it's so the only nice. bit yeah. that upsets me that it's 28 <laughs> years ago, nearly. In fact, you're absolutely right. Oh, absolutely dear. right. And do you know, um, I've played that a few times, sort of getting this intro uh, ready for you. And it just gets better and better. I mean, it evokes an incredible era. Um, how do you feel when you hear that audio today? Funny enough, when I listen to it, I, I now kind of remember a memory more than actually remember the moment, if that makes sense, <laughs> because yeah. it, it seems like a lifetime ago. And it is for many, you know, it is a lifetime ago. So when I think about the, the, the whole thing and I see it and I watch it and, and I always do smile and I, and I, and like yourself, I kind of get those, yeah, when you watch it, you kind of get into the moment and you, and you see what's going to happen. And even though I can, you know, I know I win and I know I set a championship record. <laughs> I know I but it's still just that, oh, watch, watch. And I literally find myself getting drawn into, into the race. Oh, well, that's, uh, it, it's lovely to hear you talk like that, still getting excited. And of course, these, these achievements are all just extraordinary. And in fact, Let's just look at the, some of the stats of your remarkable career. So as we just heard, 
former world record holder of 110 hurdles. Uh, that stood for over 12 years, in fact. Uh, the 60 meter indoor world record uh, you held for 27 years. Uh, that was only just beaten in February this year, I think. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, yeah. And even then, only just by a hundredth of a second. Uh, two world championship golds, an Olympic silver, four European championship golds, two Commonwealth golds. And I'll stop there because we haven't got all day. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, my coach would have said that you should have done so much better. <laughs> he was a greedy man. I was quite happy with what I well, what I had there in that, that stable, but he was just greedy. <laughs> well, maybe we'll talk about that actually in a bit, because um, of course you're an incredible team. But all all of this took place, all of your achievements took place during what was a, a real golden era for British athletics at the time. Um, you must look back with great pride at, at your achievements, Colin. Do you know, I look back at the whole team achievements because, you know, I had I took advice from one of my heroes, Daley Thompson, where he said to me quite early on in my career that you will never be great on your own. You will need that whole field of people around you that uh, really got this, the same ideas and motivations. And if your team is successful, then you'll say that will always keep pushing you. So you kind of mentioned it, the fact that we were in a golden era of athletics. And yeah, I really felt that. But when you're, you're part of the very successful part of that team, there is that added pressure because you don't mm. want to let the team down. You know, mm. I remember there used to be a competition called the European, it should be called Europa Cup. It's called now European Team Championships. And we had somebody literally could win, in, certainly on the men's side, from the 100 metres, it was Linford Christie. The 200 metres then was John Regis. The 400 metres was Roger Black. Then the 800 metre was either Steve Cram, Tom McKean. Um, 1500 metres would be someone like Seb. And, you know, you go to the steeplechase, we had Jack Butner, who was capable of doing it. And, and then you go to us in the hurdles, me in 110s. Um, Chris Akabusi in the 400 meter hurdles, mm. uh, Jonathan Edwards in the triple jump, Steve Backley would win the, the javelin, Dalton Grant would win the high jump. I mean, <laughs> the, the team was so, so, so strong. Yeah. And you were just one, one kind of part of the jigsaw to keep the strength of the team going. But also you had that sense of responsibility that you didn't want to ever let your team down. Um, so a second place uh, was never going to be good enough because A, you could not take the ribbon to go in a dining hall no. and, uh, after you've lost when you should have won. That was motivation won. enough, oh, wasn't it? Oh, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great team. Yeah, we had a great oh. time. What a roll call of great names there. I mean, it really evokes that incredible era. Mm. But um, of course, all of you, uh, but, but with yourself in particular, you, you didn't just turn up and win, of course. There's a lot of hard work going on in the background. Can you give us and our listeners an idea of, of just how hard you trained and, and, and what it took to get to the top? Do you know, it was really funny when you just listen back to the 110 meter hurdles at the World Championship of Stuttgart. And I think it's 12.91 seconds and you worked forever to get down to those kind of performances. Um, you know, an average, well, there wasn't such a thing as really as an average day, but if you think about your whole life is committed to it, 
So, you know, what you did socially was linked to the performance you were going to do. Um, your diet, your eating, um, the physicality of it, your massage therapists, um, all these things were kind of put on a daily rostrum. And you'd have to keep that rotor going all the way through. And you can imagine when you're quite young, you're at the top of your game uh, at everything you do. Um, the world is generally your oyster in that sense, but you still feel slightly curtailed. You don't have the freedom that people would expect us to have because ultimately um, we were we were like machines that needed to perform mm. at the highest level. So that took, you know, a lot of intense work. Um, and, and the high hurdles as an event means I have to be really agile. I'd have to be as, as flexible as a, a gymnast in that sense, as strong as, you know, as mini weightlifters, um, mm. uh, be as fast as the top sprinters in the world. Um, I kind of say when I use the agility then, I should say agility like of a ballet dancer, I guess, because you have to be so light on your feet. Wow. So that, that combination of everything. Yes. And, and in fact, you, you mentioned your flexibility and agility there. You, you were known particularly and watching it again your your dips on the line were were, were amazing because that, that that just gave you that marginal edge didn't it quite often yeah and i think i mean it was a natural movement for me to do i'll be honest uh, it was just just throw myself the line but i couldn't really throw myself the line if i wasn't flexible and i wasn't strong mm. so mm. you had to have all those combination of things to to be able to do literally every centimeter of of 110 meter hurdles as a race so yeah you know i mean we would i mean every night we would i mean and this was every night right so i'm not just saying oh perhaps we're, no 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 this was every night we would do 600 700 sit-ups before we went to bed uh, as a group this we'd all get together we knew what we had to do and it, it was just done you know um push-ups you'd always do 100 push-ups in the morning before we had breakfast so as a as a gang we worked worked together mm. to get the ultimate performance well getting to the top was one thing but then staying there is quite something else and uh and again, looking into this, your winning streak, which I remember, but I didn't quite appreciate at the time, just how good it was. You won 44 races consecutively. Yeah. In, no matter who you were up against. Now, now that's impressive enough, but it's all the more re remarkable because it's such a technical event as well, isn't it? Where, yeah. Where the winning margin is literally hundreds of seconds. I mean, how did you... How do you maintain that focus and, and just keep that winning mentality? Yeah, it was really tough. I, I, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I mean, you are at the top of your game. And like you say, there are always 10 obstacles in the way in a 110-meter hurdle race. So you're really thinking that I'd, I'd have to call on perfection nearly well, for 44 races. Mm. And even the 45th race, I, which technically I lost, um, I had the same time. So we kind of tied. So that's how the oh, winning streak ended. That's got to hurt. So, so, you know, that's, uh, I was trying ultimately, if I'd have just won that race, I'd have easily got to my 50th, but I didn't quite make it. So, uh, but 44 was, was, was um, a winning streak that I don't think it's going to be repeated in high hurdles for, for mm. some time. Mm. Um, and I remember the pressure I put myself on was, was my own. It was internal. You know, I wanted to make sure that I, did everything I possibly could to make sure I won. 
Um, if there was a strong headwind, I was up against the best in the world. My objective then was not necessarily to run fast, but to beat them by as, as much meters as I possibly can. You know, that was mm-hmm. always my kind of goal set. So I was always um, focused on what I need to do for a performance. So mm-hmm. I never really thought, and this sounds really odd, um, but I never really went into a competition wanted to take out an, a particular runner. It was all, mm. I always focused about myself and my own personal performances that way. Mm. And I think that's what, what helped. It, um, it's obviously an event that requires a singular drive, uh, which you've clearly got just listening to that also. But, but also, as you've alluded to earlier, you need a good team around you. Mm. Um, how did you stay healthy and injury free for, for such a long time? M- maybe acknowledge that team, I suppose, but. Yeah, I mean, I did have seven knee operations during my career, um, mm. but it's one of the things I really didn't bleat on about so much because, mm. um, you know, when your opponents know that you could potentially be fragile, then, um, yeah, they will always capitalise on it, you know. And what you don't want to do is give them any anything, you know, where they could just poke holes at you whilst you're, so that you're never preparing. No, but, but, you know, ultimately, as you know, kind of health is your own business. You know, anytime I went on the line, I felt I declared myself fit. So it, it, you know, there was no excuses. So I could never go, mm. well, well, I just had a knee up six weeks ago. And I'm no, no, if you're on the line, you're on the line. So um, you're fit, you know. So, um, but it was important, you're right, about the team of people around me. They kept me strong. They kept me focused. Um, if I needed to be grounded, they were the people that would tell me about myself to keep me <laughs> nice and grounded. Yes, but also, yes. you know, my coach would be the somebody, the oracle who would guide me um, through processes and, uh, you know, trying to see and, and work with the, the people that I trusted to be able to help me get my body in tune for uh, what I wanted it to, to do, really. Yes, you, you've, um, you've always... Uh pay tribute to Malcolm Arnold, who I think was a good friend as well as your coach. And uh, did, did you always listen to him or were there times where you thought, ah, I know, I know best. Um, were there ever disagreements? <laughs> you can see my face already. I'm going, I never listened to Malcolm. <laughs> um, no, he was a fascinating character. Well, and it was, he is. He's a fascinating character. And I remember his wife saying to me one stage, she said, don't try and understand him because I've been married him for years and I still don't understand him. So you've got no chance. Okay? <laughs> so, um, uh, uh, yeah, I love that man so, so, so much. He did treat me like part of the family I was very much part of his family and um and he was an excellent excellent guide he saw he saw things the way you saw them um mm. and then added his expertise to it you know I mean the first day I joined him I was 15 and he said to me there'll be one stage in your life where I'll have to take instruction from you um, he said that will that will come. He said, but for the time being, you will be taking instruction from me. So um, of course, and I remember as a fifteen-year-old thinking, well, that'll never be the case because you're always going to be my coach. So how can I ever take instruction from you know you vice versa? But no, no. As I got you know, as I got to learn my event more via him, he then would rely on me to add the polish. So while he could give, you know, he could always give the real framework of, of training going into major championships. Ultimately, then I knew what would, would just take me a little bit quicker. What session I, 
I could do that would make my speed come around much quicker than, you know, previously or other trading mm -hmm. sessions. And he always allowed you to do that. And so there was very much a two-way play for me to, to improve. So like everybody in the world, I presume, if you feel you're part of something, you're contributing to something, mm -hmm. you get more energized and you stay focused. Mm -hmm. And I think he, he luckily guided me that way. Well, wow, that, that's an amazing insight. Did you ever, you, you talked about this earlier, about you were described yourself as a machine and you were machines for that window, that period of time where you were at the top. Did you ever not resent the sacrifice, but clearly you, you really had, to, it was all or nothing to, yeah. to perform at the levels you were. Did you ever fall out of love with the sport as a result? Oh, massively. On numerous occasions, I fell out of <laughs> this sport. I remember in 1991, I only won a world title or, or, or um, well, one, one European title at that stage. I remember Linford Christie coming up to me because I was always injured. I was picking up tiny injuries all the time and I was never able to run freely that year. And I remember Linford saying to me, if you'd won the Olympics, right, you'd retire right now, wouldn't you? And I looked at him and said, yeah. 100 percent because i just had enough of of being injured you know you've put hours and hours of of hard physical work in and then at the crucial moments in time your body's letting you down and it's tiny bits of your body you know things that are, are less than your your little fingernail size mm. would be damaged and that would stop the whole of your body from mm. operating at maximum capacity. And, you know, in our world of athletics, you can't come into a competition 90, 99% healthy. You've got to be full on or mm. you're going to have hit, you have to hit the high road quick. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and therefore, I suppose you must have learned a lot about yourself along the way. I mean, it's one thing being a very talented 15 year old, which you clearly were. Um, but, but then as you, as you grow and develop and mature as a man, what did you learn about yourself along the way? I learned that I do have patience when it comes to myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's another podcast. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, I, I also believe that I have resilience. Um, I have the... Um, I, I, I learned that I'm really respectful of, of people as well. I started to understand what it takes to get to the top of your game and how you should act, uh, you, you know, against people who are trying to do the same thing you're trying to do. You get to understand people and what they're about. So, yeah, I learned a lot about, you know, who I had the potential of being. Um, and, and on reflection of that, I'm really pleased, you know, as, as a, you know, as I'm, I'm 54 now, so I'm looking back at that, that young lad who is 21, 22, 23. You know, I look back at that young boy and I think, Do you know, he was all right. He was a decent chap. He mm. was a really decent chap. So, yeah, I've got no, no regrets in, in, in how I handle myself, how I approach the world. Um, so, yeah, I did learn a lot, but I, I dealt with it all along the way. Yeah. And... Um... And of course, looking back now, as you say, uh, well, the, the, the age that you are and you reflect on, on all your achievements, do you miss the excitement of, of competition? No. <laughs> <laughs> and that's honestly, I mean, many people say that. To, and I remember, I remember when I was going to retire and lots of my friends were like, you've got no chance. You're going to be like so frustrated because mm -hmm. I was so passionate about athletics, you know, mm -hmm. and every element of it. 
So when I was coming to retire, they thought, well, he's going to really struggle. But no, no, no. I feel really content that I achieved everything I could possibly achieve. Mm. So I could hang up my spikes um, happily, knowing that I'd done everything I wanted to do. I had a Mm. great time, got to know so many wonderful people on the planet. So when it comes to competition, when I watch it, certainly when I watch it on the screen, and people are successful, you know, they throw their arm up in the air and there's that big smile. First time, first time you see that, you go, oh, that's brilliant, brilliant. And then you think, <laughs> I wouldn't want to do all the hard work it takes to do that. <laughs> I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't, I literally couldn't. Yeah. Because it takes full on commitment. And, and when you're young, I use it, when you're young and naive, you will work mm-hmm. hard at it. You will go for it. But, you know, once you have a little bit more life experience behind your belt, you think, do you know what? My snowboarding holidays are pretty cool nowadays. <laughs> so, and well-earned too. Yeah. So you kind of, you know, so you kind of say the competition bit, I'll leave it there mm-hmm. for those youngsters. Uh, and actually last part on that, uh, how, how try and describe how you felt on the start line in a world championship final, maybe even that world record win. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's how that, did that's... it feel? Linford, you say you go on the B of bang, and you, you yeah. were you were very very quick off the blocks. But yeah, I taught him that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I taught him that. There's no doubt about that. I taught him that. You know, the, 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 there was lots of different elements of it. So you get onto the track, for example, and you you first time you get onto the track, it's very different to where you've just been warming up, and mm. your your feel of of the environment is is very different. I remember one time in Seville, for example, when I won my second world title, um, you you ran from under the shade into the sunlight. And the difference in temperature must have been about 12 degrees. And it you you hit a wall of heat, which is what which is what you you literally weren't expecting, you know, because you've been practicing indoors or somewhere else where it's some you have that feel of consistency in just the general elements. So you're dealing with that first one. You get that balance in your mind of, okay, what, what am I going to expect here? Um, the feel of the track is very different as well because um, you, it's not a regular place that you compete at. You know, the hurdles are slightly different. All the time, the blocks are different. So the way your fit feel, um, your feet feel in the starting block, in the position is always slightly different. So you've got to make those, those, those and, and get ready to feel those adjustments quite quickly, you know, and then breathe. So once you've got all that and you're calm, you're ready to go, you, I would always be saying to myself, I have done this first hurdle most probably six or seven million times. So just do not change anything whatsoever. Do not change an approach. Do not try to go any harder. Just do what you normally do, please. You know, and if you do that, you'll get over that first hurdle and then you're set up nicely. And so you'd always have those kind of right positive, keep that positive feeling going and exactly what's happening all around you. And then for me, it's just Ignore everything else and focus on the signal of the gun. That has priority. And then as soon as that gun goes, you just put into practice what you spend hours of your life doing. Giving me goosebumps listening to all of that. <laughs> Amazing. And, and Colin, for many years when you were at the top, you, you were pretty much the poster boy for athletics and for Britain and, 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 a, and a global star with your records and medal hall. Mm. So, so... I know you say you don't miss the competition, 
but how did you cope with retirement? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a familiar tale for a lot of um, elite athletes and sportsmen who, who finally retire. How did you, how did you cope with that? Well, retiring from the sport, first of all. So if you just, there's, there's two very different elements here. So when I retired from the sport, I was content with what I did. So I was like ready to, and happy and content to walk away. But then there's that um, slight question mark about what am I going to do with my life? Because the only thing I've known to do for the last 36 years is school or train. That's it. I have no other life skills that I felt I could um, really bring to the world. So I suffered a lot of panic attacks um, after I retired and I spent many hours at our GP. And, you know, I'm so pleased that I had such a thoughtful GP who would, would happily spend time with me and talk through the whole process. So that was really important. And Eventually, when it did get through to me, he was like, look, you just, just relax. You just retired. You're just anxious about what you're going to do. You know, when eventually it got through to me, I was like, he's right. You know, I've, I've made my way through the world already. I cannot erase my history. I have learned a lot of things that, uh, along the way that can be of help, would be able to assist people. Um, and the phone will ring. And it didn't take long. The phone did start to ring. And so once it started to ring, there was that sense of, yes, I have something to offer the world that's not about jumping over sticks. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's right. And actually, you know, you have kind of reinvented yourself. You're a highly respected broadcaster and, and athletics commentator today, but you do make it look and sound incredibly easy actually it's, it, it seems that you're just being yourself but but how did you transition i mean did you were you trained for that role it was really difficult at the beginnings because of course when you're a, a hurdler for example um it's about a second between each barrier right and you most probably have 400 thoughts that go through your mind in that one second and when i first started commentating i was trying to get across every single element of what was going on between each and every hurdle, which is impossible to do, you know, because it's something <laughs> yeah. that just happens. So you yeah. have to keep, you know, you, you, you get used to a watching races, first of all, looking at how other commentators work, take advice from some of the best commentators that you have the ability to, to hang out with. And then once you can, you gather that skill, you add then your own little technical knowledge or the knowledge that you have around it into that whole storytelling. And then you, you have that frame of, of, of being a storyteller. And mm. I think that's really the most important thing. And once you've kind of nailed that, then you can just literally, and when I say literally do anything, you can literally commentate on any, any, any sport. Um, as long as you've done your research, as long as you know mm. what you're talking about, yes. then you, you can apply it to everything. Have you dared to commentate on other sports so far then? Do you know what? I do you know what? I haven't. No. Um, would you would like, I like to? to? Yeah, I knew you were going to say that then. But I don't <laughs> want to say it too loudly because, you know, we've got the Olympics coming up and I don't want to do any more work than I'm doing as it is. <laughs> okay, after the Olympics, if you had to choose one other sport, what, what would it be? Gymnastics. Okay. Yeah, I think the artistry of gymnastics is, is incredible. Um, and I feel I can relate to it. Um, from my background of high hurdling. So, you know, they have to focus, the way they have to focus, you know, you get 
and you kind of get one shot at everything. So it's kind of similar to, it's not like a field event where you get six shots at, at trying to make, being the furthest jump or have the furthest throw, et cetera, et cetera. In gymnastics, if you're going to do a vault, you get one shot at this vault. And mm. this is where your marks are at. So exactly the same with us on the track. You know, we mm. have just one straight and I got to try and get down that line in under 13 seconds and hope that nobody else does. <laughs> well, after this podcast, I'll be sure to send this to the BBC producer <laughs> uh, responsible for gymnastics coverage. Okay, <laughs> I know where, I know where you live. I'm coming to see. You. <laughs> so, how are you training these days? You look incredibly fit and well. Uh, um, you know, how do you make the time to train? Because you have a full schedule as well. Yeah. Is, it, is it routine or is it as and when? You know, I always try to encourage people to get health and fitness into their lifestyle, not make, you know, so don't, I, I don't want to say make room for it. Don't make room for it, make it part mm. of, um, because then there's no excuses either way. So, you know, for me, the most important thing is to get my body up and going as soon as I can in the morning. So I will go out for a long walk first thing in the morning, if I possibly can. Um, sometimes I... I'll break into a sweat and do a light jog. But mm. um, majority of the time, it's just like about a 10K walk, um, which is great. You know, okay, I may be the, lucky enough I got an hour in a day where I can go walk like that. Yes. But when you think about health and fitness, you as the individual all would get the benefit. And mm. so if you cannot find an hour for yourself, then don't expect anybody else to. You know, oh. you're going to get all the benefit from anything that you try in, uh, in the in the field of health and fitness mm -hmm. and you know would you i always say to people would you you wouldn't treat your car the way you treat your body mm -hmm. you wouldn't yet your car is far easily and more replaceable than your body is yeah mm -hmm. we, we because it's ours when we're born with it we take it for granted mm -hmm. you know and we know what it's like in the in our world is that if you don't pay for something you abuse it in that sense so ha. Mm -hmm. Body, 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 it'll repair in itself. But you've really got to make sure you, you embrace what your body can do. So a good diet is always important. You know, I do yoga, I do Pilates, um, I lift weights with, with friends as well. So for me, I try to have a, a holistic approach to, to training. And for me, training is about being able to fit in my clothes than mm. it is for me to go and run a race. So it's very different type <laughs> of training uh, yes. as well. Um, and of course that's important. Um, and not to, you know, to have your individual goals and your reasons why it's absolutely fine. You know, mm. if you, if whatever your reasons are for you to train, but just do it. I would suggest that people just, just have a go. And, and find what you enjoy and love because it's, it's all good. There are so, so many things that are out there for people to have a go at. You know, I, I, I live literally on the waterfront here in Cardiff. And, and every morning, especially as, you know, the weather's been fantastic, mm. I watch people paddle boarding. And I go, you know, I'm so desperate to have a go at a paddle boarding here. <laughs> and I think to myself, you see, if I end up doing paddle boarding and I fall in love with it, well, then I'm going to have to ditch one of the other activities I do because I literally wouldn't have enough time to do everything. Um, so, yeah, but I have that love of activity um, for me. And that's what really excites me. And I, and I enjoy mm. being active. Yeah. And I, and I, I don't pretend to be... Oh, this sounds ridiculous when I say this, but I don't pretend to be an Olympic runner or a world champion. You know, when I go into the gym, I always tell people like myself, I leave my ego at the door. I'm happy to pick up 40 kilos and just do bench press with 40 kilos if that's all I need to do. 
my days of lugging heavy weights are well behind me because heavy weight training for me was necessary for the job I did when I was in my 20s. Um, in the 50s, I don't necessarily need to do that. What mm. I do need to do is to make sure that my muscles are working and functional well and make sure that I'm still very flexible. I think mm. you're as, as, as young as your, your spine is. Um, mm. And look after yourself, generally in that sense. You, but you don't have to kill yourself, you know? No, 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 no. Well, well said, Colin. And, and you mentioned your nutrition and diet. Uh, are you, you generally very good to yourself in that respect or guilty? Pleasure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... I, you know, coming from the world of athletics, first of all, you kind of, you'd steer clear from things like alcohol anyway, um, because it just wasn't conducive for you to be able to, to function well. So mm -hmm. <laughs> you just steer clear to that. And that's a habit that I've kept going anyway. But also I suffered a lot from eating disorders whilst I was a running athlete. I always thought I wasn't lean enough. Um, oh, so, really? you know, I had a very, very, I was very slight, you know, for what I did. And that was because literally I wasn't eating. And um, now I, I feel I have a healthier lifestyle than I had when I was an mm. athlete because I have a far more balanced diet. Um, of course, I like ice cream. I like sweets. I like coffee. But I don't overindulge in, in, in any of those. And I'm quite odd um, when it comes to eating. I mean, a couple of mm. days ago, when my friend said to me, what did you have for breakfast today? I said, oh, I had um, a corn on a cob and three drumsticks, tricking drumsticks. And they went, <laughs> for breakfast? I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, I don't have those set things. And then they said, what are you having for lunch? I said, I'll have some muesli. They went, you got that. I was so the wrong way around. I was, like, yeah. I was like, no, no, seriously. That's, what, that's, that's exactly how I was going to be. So again, it's just like, for me, there's, there's, there's nothing right. There's nothing wrong. Fuel a body as you want it fueled. If you want a mm. piece of pizza at breakfast time, have a piece of pizza. Mm. There's nothing written down to say you should have X, Y, Z for breakfast. There's nothing. So mm. get your calorie intake right. Get it balanced. Mm. Um, yes. Yeah. And enjoy. Yeah. Very good. You, um, you mentor young athletes. Mm. Uh, I think you've always have done actually, mm. uh, even when you were competing. Uh, and including in fact a young Usain Bolt yes uh, yeah and, and and how was he to mentor and did you know then Colin what he could become well he's always had the potential you know because he'd already at 15 won the world junior title and um, we knew what he was capable of doing but the question is and this goes across the board for for every every young um athlete and, and when I say athlete I mean every sport now um, is when you have that potential to be a superstar is you've got to apply your skills. And if you don't apply your talent in the right way, doesn't matter how, how much potential you've got, it will not be fulfilled. So mm -hmm. my slight anxiety with you saying was why, whether he was going to apply his talent because it was obvious what he could yes. do. And then he literally, he just nailed, knuckled down in 2002. And it was 2008, he kind of had this big breakthrough. 2007, he won the, a bronze medal at the World Championships. And I remember he was, he, he, he ran 100 meters and broke the world record in 2008 in New York. And, and nobody had thought that he was ever going to run 100. And I remember speaking to him mm. after I said, how did you feel about that? And he said, I really didn't think anything of it because it wasn't something I was going to do. You know, we only mm. did the 100 just for speed work for his 200 meter running. 
And I laughed at him because I said to him, you know, I remember after he broke the world record in New York, he was still quite anonymous. He could walk down the streets yes. of Manhattan and people wouldn't have known who he was. It's when he arrived in Beijing and did and had a magical Olympic Games, you know, a 100 meter world record, then a 200 meter world record, then the four by one um, world record again and gold mm -hmm. medal with Jamaica. Of course, he announced himself onto the world <laughs> in that the biggest possible way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was lovely to see him achieving that. And even now when I, you know, when I see him and I talk to him about stuff, he, I, I still look at him, you know, with that with marvel you know i look and go what an incredibly talented young man really and i and i think he's a talented young man whatever you now you yes. want to apply his mind to he, he, he could do that uh, and athletics has taught him a lot and i think as you asked me about um what i've learned about myself he, he'd be able to tell you loads of things he's learned about himself for sure yes. um, on yes. his athletic journey he was so good for the sport, of course. And uh... yeah, yeah, he was. He was that tonic that our sport was really desired at that stage because it was waning mm. in both the public's mindset Agreed. and eyes and also with sponsorships, you know. And then this, you know, young Jamaican athlete came across who was just tall, who was leggy, who loved chatting to the press, um, mm. had a, an incredible personality. And adding to that was damn good so marketing <laughs> dream wasn't it it just worked well and he and, and, and he understood it you know he was never ignorant um mm. he understood his responsibilities and i say that you know and i we speak about it numerous occasions about what it was like you know um to be thrust upon the world and then all of a sudden people saying that you're the savior of the sport you've got to do this you've got to do that you know you know when it was you know times when when he tried to go to track meets to compete, but because he was such a superstar, he'd end up being locked, literally locked in his room so that mm. people would just leave him alone, you know? Mm. Um, it, this swings and roundabouts. We become in a megastar. Uh, and he, and he, he took that on the chin and, mm. and he just enjoyed it. He took the ride well, you know, I think, and I think he sold himself and the sport marvellously well. Oh, brilliant. Really did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. It was all genuine and, and, mm. and coming from the heart and he was mm. he clearly passionate about his sports mm. as well. Mm. And knows his future? event. Yeah, he knows yes, his event he, too. Yes, we don't see him actually commentating. Uh, no, and do you know what? It's a huge shame because he, mm. he, he, he is really a master of his event. If you sat down and let him speak to you about what it takes to be a great 100-metre runner, he will break down every single element of everybody's 100 metres and tell them this is where they can improve, this is where he can do that, this is where he can do that. So he kind of loves the fact that he has the skill to, to be able to do that. Yeah. So, so, Colin, who's going to mentor him on, on broadcasting and commentating then? It's you, right? It. No, he can do it himself. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what does the future hold for um, athletics in general, Colin? And uh, uh, God, that's he, a powerful question you've yes. asked me. There yeah. Because I generally don't know. And that sounds really odd when I say that, but I mm. generally don't know. I think, you know, we got, we're going to come out of... Um, if we start a little bit, the Olympic Games will always save athletics. You know, because it is something that happens every four years in usual circumstances, of course, um, every four years. Um, and if we can just produce one or two superstars during that four year cycle, then we will be all right. You know, mm. um, but I think in, in some ways um, we have to freshen up the sport 
Um, maybe go to new venues, for example, you know, not keeping things so, and I don't mm. want to use the word stale because that, that just sounds like it's dull and boring. I don't want to use that. But, you know, if you went to, in, instead of going, well, instead of having a, a Grand Prix, say, in London, you know, part of the Diamond League, so in London, why not take it to somewhere like Ipswich, where mm. they would just have a different way of presenting athletics in that sense. You just have a different type of people mm. um, that would present it to you. And they mm. may, would be more innovative in some ways. Mm. Um, and they would just, you know, spice it up a bit. So I kind of feel that our, our sport needs spicing up, not just to try and gain more supporters, but also, I think, to, to prove to the fans like we are um, mm. that they're trying. You know, if, if you see that things are trying, you're, you're, you're likely to invest a little bit more into mm. it. So I think that's important. And... Uh for this country or Great Britain, certainly. Uh, we're due another golden generation, Colin, you oh. know, from the mid-90s. So tell us who's coming through. Yeah, I mean, this this lot that are on their way through now. I mean, you know, we, we, we talk about people like Dina Asher-Smith, for example, and, you know, mm. Dina's done so well. She's won a world title. But at the moment, you think to yourself, is, is she one of somebody who's going to dominate? You know, like Linford dominated men's sprinting in that sense. You know, mm. Jonathan Edwards dominated the triple jump. Sally Gunnell dominated the 400 hurdles when she was doing that. Dina's just on that, like that, that fringe of being able to do that. So it's really exciting about having someone like Dina. Katarina's exactly the same in, in that sense. What she's going to do, people like mm. Jake Whiteman in the 1500 meters, mm. incredibly talented. Second fastest. 1500 meter runner Britain's ever produced. And when you think about it, not many people would know who Jake actually mm -hmm. is if he was walking down the street. Yet mm -hmm. he's faster than Sebastian Coe, Steve mm -hmm. Cram, Steve Ovet. <laughs> he's produced performances much better than them. So, you know, when you think about it, these are the type of people we'll be looking at who will make a breakthrough at something like the Olympic Games. Mm -hmm. And that's when they can get announced onto uh, into the you know, the sitting rooms of, of the everyday person. And then mm -hmm. they'll spend a little bit more attention uh, at athletics and see, wow, we've got an incredible talented youngsters out there mm -hmm. that we can invest time and effort in and watch it and support it. And thank goodness the games are going ahead in Tokyo, but it seems behind closed doors is that has that been announced in fact, or are they still well, they, they, it's still up in here because I think that with the the the, the uh LOCOG, the local organizing committee there, is still kind of in negotiations with the government there to see how many people they will allow in from um, the, the residents of, of, of Tokyo in itself. I think it's still quite clear that uh, as an outsider, um, you won't be allowed to travel in and, and be a supporter. Um, but, you know, I've been to Japan on numerous occasions and I work with Japanese companies very closely still now, and and they are passionate about sport. They love their sport. So if they can get in to the the actual games, they're allowed, or there's you know limited amount of numbers. We will get the people through the door, and they will be screaming and shouting mm. and supporting at everybody yes. that goes on the track or field. Yeah, and of course for everyone else, you'll be bringing it into our living rooms in any case. Absolutely, uh, and uh, we thank you for that. Absolutely. Um, to, to to round off, uh, Colin, this has been just fantastic listening to you. Um, what are the values that you live by, and and what advice do you have for for those younger athletes looking to maybe one day in their wildest dreams achieving what you achieved? 
You know, always the first thing in anything you do is have fun doing it. If you can have fun doing it, you'll work hard at it. And also it will allow you to take some knocks and bounce back from those knocks really well. So have fun. Always consistently apply yourself. So consistent application is the way to get to the very top. You know, you always say about um, training and working hard and how many hours you have to put in to get to the top of your game. That is very, very true. Never doubt your abilities. Um, you've worked hard. You've got yourself in a position where you can deliver. Never mm. doubt your abilities to be able to deliver. And you know, finally, remember, let no man judge you. Only you judge yourself. Oh, that's powerful and, and, a, and a great way to end. Colin, <laughs> you, you, you've been just an inspiration. You're, you're an absolute gent. Um, and uh, look forward to seeing you here again very, very soon. Thank you. Uh, in the meantime, I hope the sun's still shining in Cardiff. Uh, and as a Welshman uh, with the England-Scotland football match uh, going on this evening, do, do you actually care or, or any predictions you'd like to give us? Uh, see, well, I've got Scottish blood, you see. Oh, so um, so right. I, <laughs> I, I, have yeah, so <laughs> I have to just shrug my shoulders and go, yeah, sorry, it has to be a Scottish win. I have to support. Right. But let's see what happens. But if I'm honest, <laughs> if I'm honest, if this way I see it, I'd like Scotland to win. And but England and Scotland then will both go through to the next round, and that would be great because then Wales can take out one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you have that last word. On that note, Colin, thank you so much, and uh, well, appreciated. My pleasure. <laughs>